0: Glad that you're here. Glad that you're going to be a part. Uh, super excited to be a part of this series that we're about to do, starting in Galatians. You know, if you have been to South Point for any amount of time, then you know that typically what we like to do uh, is we like to take a topic and then we like to say, "What does the Bible say about that topic?" So, what does God say about relationships, like we did last month? Or what does God say about finances? Or what does God say about this or about that? But every now and then, a couple of times a year, what we like to do is we like to take a book or a letter from the from the Bible and just walk through it and just unpack it and say, "Okay." what does this mean for us today in the 21st century? And so I'm super excited that today and throughout this month, we're going to be going through Paul's letter to the Galatian church. And uh, this letter is so, so helpful, and it's such a great book. In fact, I would want to encourage you with this. You might write this down, just challenge yourself with it this week. This month, okay, we're going to be going through every week and walking through Galatians, and there's only about like six chapters in Galatians, and you could read, really you could read the whole letter in about five or ten minutes. But if you took one chapter and read one chapter of Galatians a day, then every single week, you'd be able to read through the entire letter to the Galatians. So throughout this month, you'd read the letter to Galatians four times, and you'd hear it preached every single week on Sunday. That's a pretty good challenge, I think. So so think about doing that. Maybe you can do that for your personal devotion time. But one of the reasons why I love this letter so much is because Galatians helps really to ground us and it helps to teach us and show us what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus. It was written by the Apostle Paul and Paul has one of these incredible conversion experiences when he becomes a Christian. You can read about it in Acts chapter 9 where Paul was this man who was going around who was persecuting Christ, persecuting Christians, throwing them in jail because they were followers following the way, which is what Christianity was called in the first century. And then the risen Jesus appears to Paul, and, and he becomes a follower of Christ, and he then becomes one of the greatest spokesmen of the Christian faith in the first century. And what Paul began to do is he began to go around different regions throughout the Roman Empire, and he would preach the gospel, people would be saved in some of these cities, he would start a church, raise up leaders, and then he would move on and go someplace else, and he would start churches all over the Roman Empire. And so he would communicate back to these churches through the form of letters. We don't have, they didn't have FaceTime or Skype or you know, anything like that, so he's having to literally write and pen letters back to these churches. And so some of his letters are written to individual churches. So we have letters like Philippians or Colossians or Romans or something like that. And then other of his letters are written to individual people. So we have things like Titus or Timothy or Philemon. And so Paul was going around and preaching the gospel. He was going around saying, listen, God has answered the question of our brokenness. He's answered that question, that that you and I know that inside of us our conscience tells us there's something that's just not right inside of me. I know that whatever it is, the things that I should do, I don't do, and the things that I do, I shouldn't do. Like I know there's something broken inside of me. And yet, when I look out at creation and I look at the stars and I look at creation and all these things, I know that something has made all of this. It's just too intricate. It's too good to just be by chance. And so I know that whatever it is that's out there, I'm not jiving with it. And so Paul says God has answered that question. He's answered the question of our brokenness by sending his son Jesus into the world to give his life for you and for me so that we could be healed and brought into unification with our Father, so we can know God. Now that's a great message. But unfortunately, what began to happen is that when Paul would leave these churches, how many of you, maybe you've been in a church situation like this before, maybe you've been uh, in a business uh, situation like this, where when a really strong, dominant leader leaves a situation and goes somewhere else, there becomes this leadership vacuum that somebody is going to fill right? So somebody's going to feel that and you always hope that it's the right person. And so what would happen is when Paul would leave and he'd go to other places to start churches, these other teachers that we'll get more into here in just a minute, these other teachers would come in and say, oh, you know, Paul preached that. Yeah, that all sounds really good, but he didn't tell you all of it. There's still a few extra things that Paul didn't tell you about being a follower of Jesus. And so this controversy, began to grow in the early church. It began to spread. In fact, it became so pertinent and so widespread that Paul writes a letter not to an individual church and not to an individual person, but to an entire region of churches that is in modern-day Turkey but was called Galatia. And so he writes to all of these churches to say, okay, this is such a big deal, this is such a problem, so many people are falling into these false ideas and false teachings. I'm going to write a letter to all y'all because we got to deal with this, Okay. And that's where we get the name for Galatians. And so, this controversy was not just something that the early church dealt with. But it's something that you and I have probably dealt with in our own church experience, haven't we? Because here's the deal. This controversy this controversy, is the reason why some people, maybe someone in this room, maybe somebody watching us on Facebook Live, it's the reason why you've avoided coming to church, if at all possible. This controversy is the reason why, maybe when you were growing up, your parents took you to a church, and then when you left, they said, we ain't ever going back there again. This controversy is the reason why many people in our culture today, why they really like Jesus, but they really don't want to have anything to do with the church. This controversy centers around one question. What do you have to do to become a Christian? What do you have to do to become a Christian? Who gets in? Like, who gets to be a part of the church? Like, who gets to consider themselves a follower of Jesus? How do you have to dress how can't you dress? What rules do you have to follow before you can be considered a Christian? What can you eat? What can't you eat? What can you drink? What can't you drink? Should you have piercing? Should you not have piercing? Should you have tattoos? Should you not have tattoos? Like, like here's all these things. Here's all these rules that you have to begin to follow. Who gets in? Who gets considered to be a part of the church? You see, it's easy for us to understand. If you grew up in church like I did or if you have been a follower of Jesus for any amount of time, Like, I have to be honest with you. When I hear this, this, this controversy, I kind of understand it a little bit. And here's the reason why. Because on the one hand, we are saved, and we know that we're saved by grace through faith, right? Paul says we're saved by God's unmerited favor. It's not because of anything that I've done. It's not because of I'm good enough. It's not because I've earned it or deserve it. But because God says, I love you, and so I'm going to choose to save you. That's it. It's by grace, through faith, not by anything that I've done. No works. so that Paul says, so none of us can boast. So none of us can say, well, God, I'm so good. You owe me this salvation and grace. No, Paul says it's by grace. So we know on one hand that's true. But on the flip side of that same coin, if you've been following Jesus for any amount of time or if you're familiar with the New Testament, then you understand that there is a moral standard of living when it comes to the Christian life, isn't there? I mean, even when you read the words of Jesus, Jesus says things like, you know, you've heard it said don't commit adultery. But I tell you, I'm going to raise the bar and say, if, even if you commit lust, if you lust after somebody in your heart, then you've already committed adultery. I mean, Jesus, in other words, don't commit adultery, but don't lust either, right? I mean, there's all kinds of things. We understand there are some do's and don'ts when it comes to being a follower of Jesus. In fact, one of Paul's letters that he writes to the church in Colossae, which is called Colossians, He writes to them, and in chapter 3, the summary that we put over for ourselves that we added in, he didn't have it, but what we add in is chapter 3 is called Rules for Holy Living. And in it, he talks about things like do not lie, do not cheat, do not be greedy, right? He goes through and he says all these things. And so on the one hand... We're saved by grace, not because we've been good enough or done anything good enough, but on the flip side, we understand that there is a standard of living. And what happens is, is for us as human beings, as imperfect human beings, there seems to be this conflict between the grace of the gospel and the truth of the gospel. Are you with me? And, and so this conflict takes place. And how many of you know that when there's conflict in the church, usually church people tend to get a little weird, right? Right? It's okay, you can laugh at that. We've all experienced that. <laughs> yeah, honey, you remember that time? Yeah, the conflict comes in. And yet, what we understand is that John, who was probably one of the closest, best friends of Jesus when Jesus walked this earth, in his gospel of, about Christ, in John chapter 1, he says, in Jesus, Jesus was full of grace and he was full of truth. Like, like he always, Jesus was perfect. He knew exactly how to be able to communicate, create, to communicate grace and truth no matter what the situation was. But unfortunately, we as human beings, we have a tendency to really muck this up a little bit, right? I mean, like sometimes we give grace when we should be giving truth, and we give truth when we should be giving grace, and it's just like, man, I don't know what I should be doing in this situation. I mean, should I come? To Is it tough love here, or should I just give grace? Like, we really have a tendency to mess this up, don't we? Yeah, it's okay. You can I know we all have, right? And, and here's what here's what happens. Church people, here's what we tend to do, is whenever there's conflict between grace and truth, what we tend to do is we start building these walls, and we start building these barriers, and that's not a political statement, FYI, okay, just illustration, okay, so Democrats, don't leave me, okay, let's stick with me here, okay, but, but what we do is we start building these walls and these barriers, and we start saying, okay, if you want to come in and be a part of us, then you have to look like us, If you want to come in and be a part of us, you have to dress like us. You have to eat like us. You have to drink like us. You can't do that. You can't do this. You have to do that. And then, if you were a real Christian, these would be all the things that you would do. Then we'll consider you a part. This is what Paul writes to the entire Galatian region of churches. And he says, stop it. That's not the gospel. That is a perversion, a distortion of the gospel. And it needs to stop. So let's pick up in Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. We'll just take these first several verses and we'll just unpack them as we go through them. And then we'll take them and apply them to our lives for today. So Galatians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Here we go. Paul says, I, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Now, right there, Paul, right off the top of this letter, is establishing his authority and establishing who he is. I mean, he's in essence telling them, listen, I didn't come to you. I'm not an apostle. I didn't come and preach to you. I didn't establish church. I'm not doing all this work just because I decided to do it one day. It's not because somebody came to me and said, hey, you know what? You're really gifted. You should go out there and do this. And I said, well, okay, let me go start churches. And so Paul decided to go do it. He says, no, no, no. He says, I'm letting you know that the authority by which I'm acting is coming from Christ. And here's why that's important. Let me, let me give you an example. A couple weeks ago, uh, my Five-year-old, I told her, Eden, if you don't know Eden, you should know Eden. She is just a hoot and a holler, okay? And at this point, she was five, and so the trash needed to be taken out in the house. And so I I was busy doing something, so Caden, who is now our 11-year-old, actually, he's 11 years old today, so you can wish him happy birthday if you see him, and uh, any cash donations can be made to me, I'll take care of that for him, Uh, you don't have to worry about that, Um, I'll just take the finder's fee, okay? And uh, so he was outside playing with his dog, Max. Trash needs to be taken out. It's his responsibility to the household. So I said, okay. I said, Eden, can you please go out there and tell Caden he needs to come and take out the trash? If you know Eden, she's just like the little D personality leader. Like, hey, I'll just go in there and take over everything. Okay, So she goes to the back door and just opens it up and yells and says, Caden, come inside and take out the trash. Now, how do you think her her 10-year-old brother responded to that? Like, he just completely ignored her. He's like, are you, are you kidding me? You're like half my age. You can't tell me to do anything like that. And so he just keeps going. She comes in. She slams the door. She comes in. She says, Dad, he's not coming. I said, okay, okay. okay. I said, go tell him. Say, Dad said to come in and take out the trash. Are you with me? How many parents have ever had to say that to your kids to clarify that? Yeah. So she goes out to the back. She opens it up, and with all the authority that I have invested in her, she says, "Caden, Dad said to come inside and take out the trash. What do you think Caden did at that point? Dropped what he was doing, came inside, and took out the trash. Now, same messenger, right? Same message, really. What made the difference? What made the difference is that Caden knew the person being spoken to understood the authority in which now this five-year-old was telling him to go do something, that she was speaking under my authority and not her own. And that's what Paul is doing when he's writing in his letters. He is saying, listen, I didn't just make all this stuff up for my own good. Like, I didn't just come up with this letter and come up with these ideas to say, hey, this might be a good idea to do. No, he's saying, listen, I am speaking to you in the authority that has been given to me from Christ through God who raised him from the dead. So you might want to take heed to what I'm saying. Are you with me? Kind of raises the level of importance. Like, okay, if Paul, if that's how you're speaking, I want to make sure and pay attention, right? Okay, let's keep going. Verse 2. He says, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, verse 3, grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. I love this verse. We don't have time to unpack it. But suffice it to say this. Paul says, grace and peace and truth. He has grace and peace. Grace and truth, grace and peace, it's all this good stuff, right? He says grace and peace to you. And what he's doing here is he's actually using grace, grace, this word in the original Greek language was used as a salutation or greeting in the Gentile Greek language, whereas peace he's using shalom, which is a Hebrew word for peace. So he's in essence greeting both Gentiles and Jews in the same region to say grace and peace. You are both one. Listen, I'm not just going to greet Gentiles, I'm not just going to greet Jews, you are all one in Christ. saved in one Christ one Lord one baptism one church so I'm going to talk to everybody at once because you are one and united amen he continues going on in the very next verse he gives one of the most clear and concise I think concise and short definitions of the gospel here's what he says in verse 4 he says who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever and everybody said amen amen Now, this is absolutely crucial for this entire series. This one verse is crucial because it sets a foundation that the rest of Paul's letter stands upon. Because what Paul is doing is saying, listen, you need to understand a clear definition of what the gospel is. Because here's what we have to understand. The gospel isn't just good news. The gospel is a mixture. The gospel is bad news, and it's also really, really good news. And what makes the good news so great is that the bad news is really just that bad. Are you with me? So here's what the gospel is. Here's what the bad news is. Let's start there because the good news is better. Okay. The bad news is is that we are all sinners. The bad news is that you are a sinner. I am a sinner. We have all most definitely fallen short of God's standard of living for our lives. Paul says none of us. None of us have measured up to it. We've all fallen short of it. We have almost definitely lied. We have almost definitely cheated. We have almost definitely uh, sought other things as a god rather than God himself. We have almost definitely and the reason why we do these things here's what we have to understand is we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. Are you with me? Do you see the difference there? We sin because we are sinners. Because the reason we have immoral thoughts and the reason why we have immoral desires that take us away from God's desire is because we are broken. And because we need God. And what we oftentimes do in our lives is we try to fill that gap with all kinds of different things that bring us pleasure. We try, to bring it, we try to fill it with career and with finances and with material and relationships. and We try to stuff all this stuff inside of us to solve this brokenness that's inside of me. And yet we all realize at the end of the day we all put our head down at the pillow and say, wow, that still leaves me wanting. It doesn't solve the problem, does it? That's the bad news. The good news is that Jesus, Paul says, came to give his life for our sins. Like, like all of them. Like no matter how shameful, no matter how dark, no matter how guilty we feel, no matter you say, Michael, you don't understand what I've done, Michael, all that stuff you just said, yeah, that's, no, no matter what, all of our sins. Paul says Christ came to give himself for all of them, to cover all of them. So here's how this looks. Jesus comes in the flesh and He perfectly lives up to the standard of God's law. He lives a perfect, sinless life and gives His life in our place so that not only does His perfect sacrifice appease the wrath and justice of a holy God, but then He also imputes to you and me His righteousness and His perfection so that when God looks at you and me in Christ, He sees Christ's perfection and not our shortcoming no wonder why Paul says in verse 5 to him be glory forever and ever amen I mean we could stop right there because that's the gospel that's the grace of God that I didn't do anything to earn it but he gives it he gives it and he washes everything else away that's the good news so we come to verse 6 Now, normally at this point Paul would give a thanksgiving or he would give a prayer for the people that he's writing to but it's glaringly missing from this passage, from this letter. Normally he says things like, I thank God every time I think of you. Or I'm, I'm so grateful for everything. You know, Every time I remember you and my prayers and this and that. Galatians, he says, nope, we, we, don't, we don't have time for that. We're going to dive right in here because this is a big enough issue. And that would not have been lost on the first century readers. They would have been like, hey, wait, Paul. Wait, you're supposed to tell us how grateful you are for us. He says, nope. Let's jump right in. Verse 6, here's what he says. He says, I am astonished. I'm bewildered. Like my mind is blown that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Now, did you notice what Paul says there? Did you catch it? He says, he didn't say, well, or let's just read it. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly leaving him, not it, him. That Christ is so closely connected with the gospel that Paul is telling them, listen, you're not leaving some ideas. You're not leaving a message. You are leaving the one who has actually set you free from sin and from death and to walk in his freedom. And I am astonished. I'm blown away that you are shifting from him to some other gospel. And the word that he uses there in the original Greek for desert means to shift and change your allegiance. In other words, he's saying, you're pulling a Benedict Arnold here. I mean, you are changing from Christ who came, who gave his life, who did things for you that you could never do for yourself, and you are shifting your allegiance from him to some other ideas out here, to some other gospel? Well, what is that gospel? He says it in the next verse, verse 7. He says, not that there really is another one. Not that there really is another gospel, but here's what's happening. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Now, it's important to understand the history behind this because this serves as a foundation for the whole letter. That There were these people, as we said earlier, these other teachers, they were called Judaizers. And what they were is they were these Pharisees, these really strict, detailed teachers of the law of Moses, who had become Christians, which is great. But they started going around everywhere and they started saying, you know, Paul didn't actually tell you everything. He didn't tell you the whole truth and nothing but the truth, okay? He didn't give you just the gospel, okay? Because here's the deal. Paul just told you all the good stuff. Paul was watering down the gospel and just telling you all the good stuff so he could win friends and influence people, okay? That's, the only, that's what Paul was doing. But we're here to tell you that there's actually some other requirements. You actually are required to follow the 613 laws of Moses, You're required, before you can really be a Christian, okay, notice this, here come the walls, right? Before you're, if you were really a Christian... Then you would yeah grace and truth and, and Christ and all that, yeah, that 's good, but you would also follow all the dietary restrictions you would also requ- you 'd be required to eat this and not eat that, to wear this and not wear that you 're required to do all these festivals and all of these rituals and all these spiritual religious activities you 're required to do all of that stuff. oh, by the way, men you have to have a little bit of a surgery, okay, because men you have to be circumcised too, so that 's a part of it as well, in which case all the men in the room got up and said honey i 'll be on the car, okay. Here's everything that you have to start to follow. You have to do all this stuff, and then you can be considered a Christian. See, these people are going around, and Paul says, these people that are saying these things, that are taking Christ, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, they are adding things to it, and by doing so, they are distorting it and making it to where it's not even the gospel at all. Are you with me? You see Paul's logic here as he's walking through this. Verse 8. And this is where Paul, man, woo, he, you, you can tell like he's probably pressing a little bit harder when he's writing this. Here's what he says. He says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. In other translations it says, let the curse of God rest upon them. Let them be damned is what he says. Like, whoa, Paul, you are getting in, you're, you're in essence saying, let that person be sent to hell. And as if we didn't get the point, he repeats it in the very next verse. He says in verse 9, he says, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be a curse. Let the curse of God be upon that person. Whew, wow. And then he finally wraps up in verse 10. He says, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? He's in essence answering the accusations that are being leveled against him, that he's just watering down the gospel. I know a few preachers that have been accused of that in our day today, haven't we? He's in essence answering that and he's saying, listen, am I trying to please you or am I I trying to please God? Or am I trying to please you at all? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. In other words, he's telling them, listen, if I just watered everything down and only told you the good stuff about the gospel and didn't tell you everything about it and I somehow left something out that was in addition to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, if I somehow left all of that out in order to please you, then I actually am not a servant of Christ. I have no authority from Christ. You don't have to listen to what I say. I don't love Christ, and I certainly don't love you. Now, As we think about these first ten verses, there's a lot in these verses, isn't there? And there's a lot that's been left out. But we look at these verses and we say, okay, Michael, I get that. Okay, I understand the the historical context. I understand what's happening in this situation. I understand what we're reading from Paul. I get that. I get his reasoning. I see all of that. But how does that work out for us today? Because these verses, what Paul's writing to these people, this timeless truth, is just as relevant to us in the 21st century as it was for them 2,000 years ago. And here's the reason why. Here's, how, here's what this looks like. We have a tendency in our modern minds to drift, if we are not intentional, to drift away from the straight and narrow gospel message. We have a tendency to drift from Christ and turn towards a bigger issue in our lives. This big error that we have, all have a tendency to drift into. And here's what it is. Because I think there's lots of ways we could do this, but there's one big error that I want us to talk about for the rest of our time this morning. And it's this. The big error is that the gospel just seems too easy to be true. It's just too easy. Like, like Michael, okay, so, so I hear the grace of God. I'm saved by grace, not by anything that I have to do, but, yet, but Michael, I, I still feel guilty. I still feel this and I still feel that from the things that I've done. Certainly, it can't just be that easy that I just trust him. And, and that's it? Like, I don't have to do anything? And so here, here's what this ends up looking like in our lives. We, we hear the gospel. We, we receive the gospel of freedom. And Christ sets us free. He sets us free from the law. He sets us free from having to jump through all of these hoops in order to earn God's love, in order to earn God's grace. He sets us free from all of those things so that we can live in freedom and trust in our relationship with Christ. He sets us free from all of those things. But what we end up doing is this, is we take the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and we say, well, surely it's not that easy. Surely I also have to go to church all the time. Every time the doors are open, I have to be at church. And I have to read my Bible every day because if I don't read my Bible every day, and so what we do is we add all these religious activities to Christ and we say, okay, when I have to pray and I have to fast and I have to give to church, I have to serve and I also have to go on mission trips and I have to help the homeless and I have to do this and I have to do that. I have to teach my kids this and I have to do that. And what we end up doing is we add so many religious activities to the message of the gospel and then we try to carry that on our back and we say, see God, I'm carrying all this for you, Jesus. You see all this? I mean, have i earned your love and have i really gotten forgiveness from you yet i mean i am exhausted and i'm ready to just quit but jesus you see all this stuff that i'm doing for you and paul is writing to the galatians as he says to us through the centuries he says why i'm astonished that you are abandoning a message of freedom for this for this baggage, for this weight that we carry around in ourselves, that we have built in ourselves, that Christ says, I didn't come to, so that you could be enslaved into a prison of legalism. I came to set you free. Now, does that mean that we shouldn't read the scriptures and we shouldn't come to church and we shouldn't give and we shouldn't serve? Of course not. But here's how this works out in my own life. I do all of those things. I love doing all of those things. you know why? Because each of those things pull me more closely into Christ. Christ has rescued me. He's redeemed me. I know the tendencies that I have. I know the temptations that I face. You know the temptations that you face. They may be the same. They may be different in some instances. But I know where I would be if it wasn't for the gospel. I know where I would be if it wasn't for the ministry and ministry of the church that I have received since I was a child. I know what has been prevented in my life because I know my propensities. I know the things that I could look at and go, man, if I wasn't a Christian and if I wasn't saved all those years ago, then I know probably the kind of person that I would be right now. I have been set free from those things. I've been set free, and so I can walk in this loving relationship with Christ, and each of these things pull me closer to Christ, and they increase my intimacy with Him so that I know Him more, Because as I do these things, I recognize that they help me to love him and they help me to enjoy his presence. And here's something important for us to understand about spiritual disciplines and spiritual activities. Is that I don't do spiritual disciplines. You can fill this blank in your notes. Is that I don't do these things in order to be saved. I am saved, therefore I do these things. Are you with me? It's, it's the exact opposite. It's the exact same issue, really, as with sin. We sin because we are sinners. Well, now, I don't do these things. I don't have a weight that I carry around to say, okay, God, have I really earned it? I mean, have I really, have I really earned your love yet, God? Have I earned your, your forgiveness yet? I, I don't have to do that. Why? Because I am saved, therefore I do these things because they pull me more closely to the Savior that has rescued me and redeemed me. There's a big difference between each of these things. And the perversion, you can fill this blank in your notes, the perversion of this big error, that, oh, the gospel's just too easy, so I need to add all these things to it, and i got to build these walls, and then not only carry that weight myself, but then I also need to place that weight on someone else. Are you with me? It's building these walls. It's not only the error, it's not only that we demand it of ourselves to say, you got to carry all this stuff around, I have to do all these things in order to be saved, but then we talk to other people and we put the same weight upon them and say, if you were really a Christian, here's all the things that you would be doing as well. The perversion of the big error is that we quit trusting in our relationship with Christ and begin trusting in our religious activities. That's what we end up doing. We, and, and we start judging each other based upon all these things oh well they weren't in church they haven't been in church for the last couple weeks i don't know where they've been but uh, they haven't been here well you know they haven't been in our small group you know i don't know they haven't been in small group in like 6 months so i don't know what's going on in their life i mean you know i mean i'm in small group every time the doors are open well you know they didn't raise their hands when they were when we were singing and worship today man i just i don't know god something's going on in their life i'm sure there's just something right come on now i know it's quiet but this is the truth of galatians right galatians is a tough letter And the truth is is that we put this weight on other people and we start measuring each other and we start judging each other based upon the religious activities and we judge the spiritual intimacy that you have with Christ and I have with Christ based upon the things that we do rather than upon the truth of the gospel that you have been set free from all of that. Is it any wonder then that this controversy grew in the first century church and it continues 2,000 years later to where people leave churches all the time because they're having weights being put upon them that were never meant to be put upon them and they're being judged by what they do and don't do based upon whether or not they fulfill certain requirements that people made up for themselves? Man, Paul says, is it any wonder? Paul says, I'm astonished that you're abandoning this freedom in Christ for this other thing over here. So I want to ask you a question. Here's the question. You can can fill this blank in your notes. Are the spiritual activities of my life, are they leading me more into Jesus or have they become an end in and of themselves? Have they just become things that you check off? Do you come to church so that you can gather with believers, so that you can grow, so that you can rest in the worship of our God together? Or is it just so you can check it off the list and say, well, the wife made me come, so I'm here. Right? Do, 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 we, do we worship when, when, we, when the band comes up and they begin leading us in worship? And you think about that. The worship of God. That God is worthy, isn't he? He is the, he is the epitome of goodness, of holiness, of righteousness. And when we begin to sing, does your heart, Fill and overflow with passion to love him. And, and when we sing, are you drawn into Jesus? Or, eh, you know, I mean, we'll sing a couple songs and then we'll hear some preaching, go home, and then we'll go on about our day. Have your religious activities become an end in and of themselves, or do they pull you more closely into Christ? Here's what Jesus said to the Pharisees in the first century. These teachers of the law who were like the epitome. They followed all the rules, followed everything perfectly. Here's what Jesus says to him in John chapter 5. He says, You study the scriptures diligently. Because you think that by them, by reading the scriptures, by studying the scriptures, by knowing them, by growing in all this intellectual information about the scriptures, you think that by them you have eternal life. You think that you're earning eternal life by a spiritual activity that you have brought into your life. And you're doing this and doing it and doing it and doing it over and over, and you're getting better and better at it, and that's great. But you think you're earning salvation because of it. He says these are the very scriptures that testify about who? About me about Jesus. He says, these scriptures actually are talking about me, yet you refuse to come to me and have life. Think about that for a moment. How many of us in this room, how many of us watching on Facebook Live today are carrying around this weight of religious activity because we think it's earning us something from God? Because we think it's earning us his love. It's earning us his, his, his grace. It's earning us all this stuff. And we think that we're earning eternal life by carrying around all these things. And we're doing it. We're diligently. Man, we are going after it. And Jesus says, if only all of those things were meant to point you toward me. And you've missed the point. You come to church. You read your Bible. You pray. You do all this stuff. But it's all just going through the motions. All of those things were meant to point you towards me to a life of freedom to a life that you can walk and say this is so much more free and so much more better even when we think about colossians and colossians 3 when paul has this these rules of holy living what i have found in my own life what i have found is that when i read the that chapter in colossians and he says things like don't do this don't do this you know what i have found is that there is actually an incredible amount of freedom in the way of living with Christ. And here's the reason why I say that. Because I have found, I've discovered this, and this is not revolutionary, because I think many of you in this room have also discovered this as well. That when I walk with Christ, I have discovered that it is more freeing to live with forgiveness in my heart, rather than having bitterness in my life. I have found that it is so much more freeing to have joy fill me no matter what my circumstances are rather than living my life based on emotion and what my current circumstances are. I have found that living with love and kindness and gentleness is far greater and far more freeing than living with hatred and anger and malice and rage inside of my life. It's freeing. So when I read when Paul says, don't be greedy, <laughs> no problem, Paul. Paul. Man, that's freeing for me. Why? Because I've found that it is so much better to live my life with generosity and overflowing and having everything in open hands rather than clenching them and being greedy and being stingy with everything that I have and saying, No, it's mine, you can't have it. It's so much more freeing, isn't it? And if you are following Christ, then I guarantee you have discovered the exact same truth. Paul says, I'm astonished that you're abandoning the freedom of Christ for some other different gospel. So here's the question I have for you. Where are you at this morning? Where are you at? Maybe for some of you, you're here today and you go, man, you're just, you're right there, man. The band strikes up, you're just, yes, Jesus. I mean, when you study the scriptures, Jesus is just filling your life. When you're praying, Jesus is filling your life. You're getting Jesus in everything you do, and that's awesome. For others of you, maybe you're here and you're saying, yeah, Michael, I've just been checking things off a list. I've just been kind of going through the motions. I'm not really finding Christ. I've been picking up and adding these things. And I want to be free. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. This week, walk out the doors today. And say, you know what? I'm just going to spend some time with Christ. Say, you know what? All these things, they're great. Reading the scripture, praying, all those things. Absolutely, they're great but why do you do them? Spend some time in reflection and say, God, I want to do these things, not because I think I'm trying to earn something from you, but rather because I know it's drawing me closer to you. Shift your perspective and see things the way that Christ wants you to, to be free and not walk in a prison of legalism in your life. Amen? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful, Lord, that in this place, you are setting us free. Lord, that you did not come to bind us up and, and do all of this, these requirements on us, God, that we have to jump through all these hoops to earn your love and to earn your grace and to earn your mercy and all these. Jesus, you did away with all of that. Every other religion in the world requires those things, but you don't. And I think, God, the reason for that is because we as human beings have a tendency to think that we have to do things to earn something. And the message of the gospel is just that simple. That we are sinners, separated from you, but you came and gave your life for us so that we could be united to you. And, God, I pray today that if there are any that are here in this room, maybe if there are any watching on the Internet today, wherever they might be, God, if they need to make that decision to say, you know what, Jesus, I want to accept that grace today, I pray that they would do so. I pray, Lord, that in their own heart, they would set apart Christ to become Lord of their life, to receive that freedom. God, I pray that you would help us to walk out these doors today. God, not with an attitude that says, well, I've been freed, I've been set free, so now I can go live however I want. No, God, help us to understand that you have set us free in order to love you and to love people, that you've set us free to be kind and to be gracious and and to to give everything that you have given to us. And I pray, Lord, on the other spectrum that you would help us to remember that, God, you have set us free not to bind us up and to build a bunch of walls around our lives, to make other people jump through hoops, but, God, to realize that we can indeed walk in freedom, trusting in our relationship with Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.